What's up, guys? Y'all doing all right? Y'all doing better now? What's up, church? Y'all doing all right this morning? Hope y'all are good. Welcome. If it's your first time here, I want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Blake. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here, and uh, one of the things I get to do is teach God's Word, and so, man, I love to do that. Welcome to Connection Church. We exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and so what that means is we love seeing people get saved having a relationship with God, and then growing in that relationship. And so just welcome you this morning. One announcement before we get started. Uh, in two weeks, it'll be Family Worship Sunday. That's on the 30th. And so we are passionate about family ministries, passionate about marriage. As you can see, we're in a marriage series, passionate about our kids' ministry. We believe that the parents are primary disciple makers of their kids, and we believe that it's important for your kids to come into service every once in a while and see mama worship Jesus, see daddy read his Bible. And so, man, that's going to be in a few weeks. Uh, we look forward to that. A couple of things before we just dive in this morning. If you're a first-time guest, you picked an interesting morning to come to Connection Church. We're in a marriage series called When Sinners Say, I Do. Well, this morning, I get the privilege to preach on marriage problems. Well, when you talk about marriage problems, there's a three-letter word uh, called sex that you end up talking about. And here, this is something we're not ashamed about. We don't stay quiet on things that the Bible's not quiet on. And we got a lot of young families in the room. And so, man, this is something uh, that we are passionate about, family ministries, young marriages. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that this morning. There's a heads up. Welcome to Connection Church, all right? Uh, and also, uh, if you're a parent and you have a kid in here that's pre-K through fifth grade and they're in here now, here's my warning. Be, will be some PG-13 moments in the sermon, nothing bad, but I would highly recommend our kids' ministry next door, Connection Kids. You might want to take them there. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, welcome. Uh, parents might be a little uncomfortable at times, but listen, you should have had that conversation two years ago, okay? I'm doing you a favor this morning. And so anyway, we're going to dive in. Y'all ready? Okay, well, I'm going to pray, and y'all get ready. So here we go. Uh, God, we just love you, and we thank you for today Thank you for marriage. You created that, and it's good. And God, I pray that, man, just by your spirit, you would just come in here. God, help us to not work on our spouse, but to work on us. And just invite you to just stir our hearts, God. Just stir our hearts for you. And, our, and, and when that happens, Lord, God, our marriages will grow stronger. So we just love you. Come here and transform us this morning. Amen. When two sinners say, I do, you got problems. And there's no perfect marriage because there's no perfect person. No perfect marriage because there's no perfect person. I remember on my wedding day being uh, up at the altar on my wedding day and I had an epiphany and I really thought to myself, there's a chance this could go bad. For better or worse, it could be worse. For sickness and health, it could be sickness. For rich or poor, it could be Poor, and so there's you're admitting that right off the rip. Like, man, this might not be the best, but I do, anyways. And I want to be honest with you you don't have marriage problems. Write it down big, write it down straight, write it down plain. You do not have marriage problems. You say, Pastor, you ain't met my wife. I don't got to meet your wife. You say, You ain't met my husband. I ain't got to meet your husband. 
You don't have marriage problems. The heart of the problem is the problem with our heart. And every horizontal relationship issue is a byproduct of a vertical relationship issue with God. Listen to me, I don't talk bad to my wife and my heart's okay with God. She might amen me here in a minute. I don't cheat on my spouse and my heart be okay with God. I do not not submit to my husband and my heart's right with God. I'm not gonna be a domineering uh, husband over my wife and my heart is right with God. We don't have marriage problems, we have a heart problem. And because we have heart problems, we have problems in marriages. The pastor, J.D. Greer, says it this way. He says, after being a pastor for over 12 years, being married over eight, there's not really many married people issues. There's individual people issues that just get worse in marriage. Marriage doesn't create the problems, it just reveals the problems, and there's many problems in marriage. Some of you have in-law issues. You do not love your in-laws the way you love your birth parents. Some of us have trust issues. We live in the past history of our spouse, something they've done, there's unforgiveness, and we got issues. Some of us have Kid issues. All we want to know is how in the world do I get little Jimmy to eat his vegetables? Some of us in here, our, your spouse is absolutely nuts. You married a lunatic. That's on you. And you can't fix them. And you won't fix them. You, write it down big, write it down plain, you will not fix your spouse. You can only focus on yourself. You can't even fix yourself. You need the gospel to change you, and only the gospel can change your spouse. And so you pray for them, you love them, you follow Christ, and you ask for the gospel to transform hearts. But today, there is problems I wanna talk about. We call these the big three. Uh, we call these the three that uh, everyone talks about in their marriage. One is sex. On the count of three, say sex. One, two, three. Got it out, y'all's system. There we go. The second is money. We got money problems. Third is communication. And so let's dive in. James chapter four, verse one. James four, verse one. And it will be on the screen. The brother of Jesus says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a great question. What causes fights? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That's a good answer. It comes from our heart. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. You lean to your own understanding. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You got bad desires, we got wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We got bad pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world means enemy against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Do you think scripture says without reason that jealousy longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in you? God wants us to walk by the spirit. God wants us to seek the things above. But the flesh in us has idols and desires and pleasures in our heart. But he gives us more grace. Praise God for that. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You want to know how to fix your marriage. You want to know how to fix the problems in your life. Verse 7, 
Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, double mind and grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. And humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Notice James doesn't point our eyes outward. He doesn't say, hey, you want to fix your spouse. Look at what they've done. Look what they did to you. He points our eyes inward and he says it's our desires. It's your spouse's fault and your fault. Marriage and sex, we're going to talk about it. Marriage and money, we'll talk about it. Marriage and communication, let's talk about it first. Marriage and sex. You know, when it comes to sex, everybody has a normal. Everyone has their way, but their way isn't necessarily the way. Our normals are shaped by our experiences in the world, what we've been told, what we've heard, what we've seen. And that shapes your experience. But your experience ain't necessarily true. You're shaped by what you've seen. Some men in this room, when you were growing up, your friend showed you a, a, a movie or a pornographic video. And somewhere in your heart and in your mind, you think that is how sex is supposed to work. The only problem is your wife is not an actress. Or a porn star. And some uh, women in the room, you watch the Titanic. And two people fell in love at first sight. And they're in the middle of the ocean. And they're on a ship. And they're in a car. And they have sex for two hours. But I promise you, nobody <laughs> is in the ocean. On a ship. In a car. Having sex for two hours. More like in a bedroom for two minutes. And some, it's what you've been told. Your mama scared the heck out of you and said, if you have sex, you will get an STD and die. And yes, STDs are real. And yes, they could kill you. That doesn't make sex bad. It makes sin bad. Or maybe some of you in here, this is not a laughing matter. This is not a joke. You've had a horrible past with this. You've been devastated. You've been mistreated. You've been wounded, abused. And it shaped your view of sex. It shaped your view of this topic. But listen to me. You're not the only one who's been abused. Jesus Christ was abused on a cross to set you free. And when you come to him, you're free. And your identity is not in what has happened to you. It's in Jesus Christ. He'll bring healing to your life. Your experience isn't always truth. And you walk into the marriage with your way. And your spouse walks into the marriage with their way. We don't need his way. Promise you that. And we don't need her way. We need God's way. What is God's design for sex? Well, here's what we know. A, God's design. Here's what we know. God designed sex to be good. He's a creator. And when he creates, he says it's good. Created day. It's good. Created night. It's good. Created man. It's good. He created sex and it's good. The devil did not do it. The devil did not catch God off guard and run up to Adam and put a body part on Adam and say, I will rule this man for the rest of his life. That ain't what happened. God created it for a good reason, for good pleasure, for good purpose. And the Bible has plenty to say about sex. You know, the church is quiet on this issue. 
And it's always been quiet when it comes to sex, but the Bible is not. And this hasn't helped anybody. This has hurt everybody. And I'm gonna try my best to redeem this topic for the married people of God in this room. Because it's not bad, it's good. He designed it to be good. He designed it to be a gift. We serve a God who's generous with gifts. He gives us steak to be savored. And we didn't see it coming. Because you don't, you don't drive by a cow pasture and say, God, I want to eat one of them things. That don't happen. But he gave this, this these taste buds and stuff. And man, it's just awesome. I ate a steak last night. Phenomenal. Love it. He gives us steak to be savored. Wine to be enjoyed when rightly used. He gives us sex to be in the covenant of marriage and to be indulged in. And he wouldn't give you a gift for you not to enjoy it. So what does sex give us? Well, one, it gives us pleasure. And some people say, well, man, no, you know, sex is is just meant for for having kids. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 not that. It says in Genesis chapter 4, before he said, be fruitful and multiply. Before multiplication come, it said Adam knew his wife. That word knew means sex. In in Hebrew, it means bow, chicken, wow, wow. It means let's get it on. It means let's go. And what are you going to do about other verses in the Bible? What about Proverbs 5.19? What are you going to do with this? A loving doe, a graceful deer. Men, do not call your wives doe or deer. May her breast satisfy you always. Well, praise God for that. May you never be intoxicated, ever be, ever be intoxicated with her love. I want you to see God didn't have to make it awesome, but he did. And we're all glad that he did. He made it awesome. It's for our pleasure. It gives us children. Psalm 127.3, they're a heritage from the Lord. What a great gift from sex. It gives us oneness. Guilt-free sex forever for the married, married people in the room. How awesome is that? It's not hook up and shack up and break up. It's free and frequent sex with one person, one last name, one bank account, one house, attended one church, worshiping one God. It gives us oneness with each other. It gives us knowledge. You know your spouse better than anybody else knows her. You know your husband better than anybody else knows him in a way that nobody else should know them. Gives us knowledge, gives us comfort to be stripped naked and unashamed. This is not Instagram living. This is real life living naked and unashamed to be fully seen and fully loved and to be known in a way that no one else knows you but your spouse. Sex is good. It's a gift. And God designed it to serve your spouse. This is different from the world we live in because sex in our world ain't about giving anything. It's about what you get. It's not about serving anyone. It's about being served. But God's designed marriage to serve one another out of the reverence of Christ, and that includes sex. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That includes sex. Not only is it good, not only is it a gift, God knows how it works best. Sex works best when you're not selfish. You want to know how to have some good sex? Do it God's way. 
And when you do it God's way, that's the best way. It's concentrating on serving your spouse and loving your spouse. And at the same time, your spouse is concentrating on loving you and serving you. And that's when it's at its best. But when you make it selfish, it's no different than the world. And it's shallow and it's cheap and it's selfish. But if you're focused on her and she's focused on you, and you're serving one another, what a great gift we have. Listen to me, the best thing about sex is not the finish line. You tracking with me? The best thing about sex is the process. It's being with one another, it's enjoying the moment, it's being together, enjoying your wife, enjoying your man. Listen to me, men, it's not rushing through. If men, if every time you have sex, you look like you're in the Daytona 500. You're being selfish. You gotta slow down, enjoy your wife. Ladies, listen to me, enjoy your husband. Don't just try to get it over with. God designed sex to be service. He designed it to be sacred. God is holy, set apart, nothing like him, nothing above him, below him. He's supreme and he's holy. He set apart and sex should reflect its creator. It should be different. It should be special. It should be treasure. One man, one woman in a marriage for a lifetime and it should reflect the gospel. That's why it's for marriage. But we've dumbed that down, haven't we? In this world. But it should reflect the gospel, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit in communion all together. And then you have the wife, the woman, and the man. They come together, and God's in their marriage, and it's this Trinity in one. And that causes us to worship God. Sex stirs our affections up, not just for sex, but above the gift and to the giver. We say, man, praise God. Who would have thought of such a great thing? Man, we serve a great God. Sex is God's common grace to the world. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy sex. You can be an atheist and enjoy sex. You can be anybody, anywhere, and you can still enjoy sex. However, the Christians should enjoy it to its full effect. We should have better sex than anybody in the world. It causes us to focus on our spouse and serve them, and it stirs our affections up to God. It's not just physical it's spiritual. There's souls behind physical bodies. They call this the mingling of souls. It's not worldly, it's heavenly, and we praise God for it. It's for service. It's sacred, it's good, it's a gift. And listen to me, it is powerful. It's powerful. Science talks about when you have sex, chemicals are released to the brain. It's almost like a rush, a drug, and it can be fruitful for your marriage. It is literally like fertilizer in your marriage. It causes it to grow and to flourish and be fruitful. It's like putting logs on a fire that's starting to die down and you put the logs on and it starts to roar up again. That is what sex is for when rightly used. But not only can it be fruitful for your marriage, it can destroy your marriage when used wrongly. And so let's talk about not just God's design, let's talk about sinful desire. Sinful desire says this, it runs against God's design, it says I, my way is the best way. And so it says my way, not God's way. And we lean to our own understanding. You see, sin is looking for the right things in all the wrong places. And we start to lean to our own understanding. And the desires that's within us, and we become learners of the world instead of the word. 
And listen to me, this world thinks it knows how to have sex, but they still ain't satisfied. I was reading a health magazine not too long ago, and I was reading through the health magazine, it's like, it's like hey, how to have awesome sex. You know, t- 10 best places to have sex. Did I read it? Yeah, I read it. And, and it's, it's, just, it's just, but it's, but it's crazy. It's like, hey, hey, try it in the laundry room. Have sex in the deer stand. And it's sex in the kitchen. It's like, what? Like, what's wrong with the bed? Like, like, what's wrong with this, the bedroom? You know what I mean? It's like always trying to, hey, this ain't enough. Let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. And there's no satisfaction. It does not satisfy. And when we look through sex through a sinful lens, listen to me, bad things happen. Well, what happens? Well, here's what happens. Sex becomes God instead of a gift. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And we live in a world that absolutely worships sex. Sex is the little G God of America. And you don't have to look far to realize that. Just get on Instagram. Just get on TikTok. And I mean, I know some of the ladies might not quite understand, but if you're a man in here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do not have to explain myself. Sex is rampant in the God of this country. And what happens is sex becomes God. Bedrooms become altars. And people made in the image of God become sacrifices. And we destroy them with our eyes and our hearts and our minds. And the byproduct is destruction, not satisfaction. And we have things like this. And I'm sorry I gotta go here, but I do. Taking advantage of women. And we dehumanize them. With our minds and eyes. Hey, you don't hurt. I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, you're destroying her with your eyes and mind. And she's not made an image of God no more. She, you dehumanize them. And then we have no dads in the homes. And being a man, listen, being a male don't make you a man. Just because you got the right plumbing, that just makes you a male. That don't make you a man. But we don't have men in homes much anymore. You know, we don't have dads in the home. It's busy abortion clinics. We have child pornography. And all pornography is child pornography, by the way. Because they're always, they're somebody daughter. They're somebody's son. They're all made in the image of God. And then we have the sex slave industry. It's this domino effect. One fuels the other that fuels the other that fuels the other that fuels the other. All under the head in my way. All under the head and it's just a screen. All under the head and hey, we're not married yet, but hey, it's just, it's mutual. But we, we destroy, we're selfish, and we destroy the other person. And it fuels into something else. It fuels into something else. It's not innocent. It's tragic. And then all of a sudden, the world's broken, and sex is broken. And then all of a sudden, God's good gift becomes gross in our minds. Because listen to me, our experience starts to shape our view of the gift. But sin can't define God's gift. It's good. It may be bad because of sin, but it don't make it bad, it's still good. Or maybe you've experienced bad things and now you start to see sex is gross. I'll prove it to you. Just because I'm talking about sex right now, now, there's some of us in here that's like, oh my God, they're doing this in church? They went here? Yeah, we went here. Because the Bible goes here. But man, it's awkward because we naturally get a view that it's gross and either A, we don't talk about it at all especially in the church, don't talk about it with our kids, or B, when we do talk about it with our kids, it's always negative. I've done five weddings, two of them, which is almost 50% of the ways that I've done. There's been two times where, where the uh, people getting married say, say, my whole life, 
I've been told sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And now they're stepping in to get married and there's this guilt inside their heart that should not be there because they're, it's not bad. It's actually good, but their whole life they're taught it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Sex ain't bad, sex is good. And we need to warn our kids, but we don't, we don't define God's gift. You can't call unclean what God calls clean. And so we need to talk to them about that. And marriage becomes, becomes, in the marriage, sex becomes me, not we. It's not just my way, not God's way, but in your marriage, it becomes me, not we. And it's a selfish lens instead of a covenantal lens. Sex becomes selfish, not service. And now you make sex about you and not your spouse. It's all about you. And some of us, you start looking for any ways possible just not to have sex. Not tonight, baby. My, I got a headache. It's not, it's not, not tonight, baby, my back hurts. If your back hurts randomly, every single time it's time to have sex, you need to go to the chiropractor. Or men, I mean, I tell you one thing, you'll do anything just to have a little sex. I mean, man, you'll leverage holidays for sex, Martin Luther King Day sex, Halloween sex, Easter sex, Christmas sex. I was gonna wrap myself up, put myself up under the Christmas tree sex. I mean, you just look for any opportunities to do it. And what happens is selfishness is in your heart. And what this creates is one, a domineering husband. And you make sex about you and not your wife. Or we can dehumanize our wives and she becomes a tool for our pleasure. Or we manipulate and pry. But men don't take, little boys take things that don't, little boys take, men don't take. And selfishness can create a withholding wife. And you just withhold and you make it about you and not your husband and it becomes conditional. We start viewing sex as just conditional instead of service to one another. And men be cleaning the whole house, just mopping the whole floors to, to serve their wife. You know what I mean? But you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, man, maybe I'll get a little lucky tonight. Maybe, maybe she'll come home and maybe this will get me some sex tonight. Or maybe the women here, maybe you'll, you'll manipulate your husband. You'll use sex to manipulate your man into doing what you want him to do. And if he doesn't do it, you don't think he deserves it. Or maybe single people in the room, you'll start to justify test driving. And it's like, man, I'll, I'll, I'll get married, but hey, how, well, how am I going to marry someone if sex ain't good? Well, what is good sex to you anyway? What, let's talk about that for a minute. I know y'all can't wait to talk about it. What is good sex? Is it your past experience? Is it what you've learned from the world? Or is it what you've learned from God's word? Because what makes sex good is the mingling of souls in God's plan. And what you're saying is, I know better than you, God. And so sinful desire makes it my way, not God's way. It makes it me, not we. It makes it normal, not special. It becomes a toy instead of treasure. Instead of treasure, it's just a toy. And listen, sex is not meant to be played with. I told you it's powerful. If you put a fire in a fireplace, and you can burn it as hot as you want. You can burn it as long as you want. But it's got a place and it's got a time. But you take the fire out of the fireplace and throw it in the kitchen, you're in trouble. And sex, sex will destroy your life. Listen to me, it's powerful. It's got a place. It's got a time. Don't buy into the lie of this world. Faith is trusting God at his word, and sin is leaning to your own understanding. God, I know better than you. Premarital sex is not okay. 
because it ruins God's design and it ruins your joy. It robs yourself from your joy. Pornography's not okay, it ruins God's design. It robs you from your joy. And I wanna be clear, there is grace in this place. And I don't care what you've done, who you did it with, where you've been, what you've done with, who you've done it with, there's grace in this place and it don't as much matter where you've been because there's healing at the cross, but it does matter where you head. And I would tell you, I would tell you middle schoolers and high schoolers, I would tell you single college people, put your yes on the table and say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna do this God's way and I promise you, you'll get better fulfillment and better joy in your life when that time comes because see, the gospel changes everything. It changes everything. Listen to me, it offers repentance. Repentance is just a return to God's design. It's an invitation. God said, hey, get in here. Oh, you struggle with pornography? Hey, get in here. Oh, oh, you... You didn't wait until you had, hey, get in here. Oh, you're fighting in your marriage, you're about to get a divorce. Hey, why don't you get in here? Why don't you get in here and see God's design and say, I'm gonna align my life to his word and you watch what God does. Come to me, all who are weary, I'll give you rest. Jesus says, you get your wounds and you get in here because it's a wound. You don't ask to stumble across pornography at age 12. You didn't ask for your friends to show you a playboy, but it becomes a wound. Then it becomes an idol, then it becomes your identity. But God will crush idols, and he'll give you a new identity. Why don't you go ahead and confess and get in here. It frees us from our past. We're free from guilt. If we're free from shame, I have no secrets in my life. I don't have to. I don't have to have a secret. I could talk to you about porn addiction. I could talk to you about uh, anything to do with sex. I could talk to you about anything I've done or anywhere I've been because there's nothing that you can find out about me that the blood of Jesus Christ don't cover for me. I'm free, and there ain't nothing freer than living free. It, it'll, it'll free you, it gives you new desire. It gives you new eyes how you see. You see images made in the image of God, people made in the image of God, not just, not just people. It gives you new hearts how you feel. You'll start wanting to serve your spouse more than being selfish. It gives you a desire to worship God with your bodies. And it puts God in a right position. And it brings joy to your life. And I'm telling you, it'll give you the power to fight. Here's the truth. You'll never, you'll never experience sex the way you're intended to experience it without Jesus Christ. You'll never experience sex in your marriage apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's some practical advice real quick. Because I gotta hurry, practical advice. Here's some common enemies. Here's some common enemies in sex. For women, one of the number one enemy is weariness and busyness. You're tired. I am married to a wife. I understand what it's like to be, for women to be tired. Mama, 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 mama. Daddy's sitting right here. Ain't said daddy one time. They hollering up the stairs for her to like come tie their shoe or something, something crazy. Like, bro, why didn't you ask me? You better get me in trouble. <laughs> I know what it's like. You, you work, you come home, you're tired. But listen to me, just hear me out. Abstinence doesn't create desire. It creates more abstinence. One week turns to two weeks. One month turns to one month, two months. Two months turns to, to even more. And, and listen, however, sex creates desire. The only way to stir your heart in something is to take part in something. You gotta get in the game, you gotta change your schedule. I don't know, plan a getaway. 
Make an appointment on the calendar. Have sex with my husband. You say, that's not romantic. Your husband will not care. If he sees you naked for two seconds, he's coming off the top ropes like Ric Flair. He does not care. He does not care. Listen to me. Husband's number one enemy. It's not weariness. There's not a man on the planet that's too tired for sex. It's not busyness. You will drop anything, anywhere, anytime. Here's two things, men. One, a lack of intimacy. It's not wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. If we would pursue our wife's heart and soul a little more and cultivate a friendship, that would help you because sex is best when friendship is strong. No matter what body type, it don't even matter. When there's intimacy because of friendship and you have a nice friendship, that's what sexiness is. That's sexy. It's not just, stop just trying to, to just, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Just pursue your wife. Be her friend. Another uh, guy's is pornography. And here's what I would tell you. You didn't mean to get wounded. You didn't mean to, but you got shot. When you were in middle school, high school, you've been shot. You ain't got to lie about it. But here's what you need to do. You need to confess. You need to talk to somebody. You can't fight the devil in the dark. You need to bring it to the light. You need to tell your wife. You need to tell your wife. You need to tell her today. And here's what our wives need to do. You need to forgive him. Your husband's been wounded. Your little boy in here has been wounded. Don't, when they confess, they're having a hand up for help. Don't pull out your sword and slit his throat. That's not gonna help him. He will never talk to you about anything. No wonder he doesn't confess. No wonder he keeps it hidden and covered. But listen, you show your husband the gospel of Jesus Christ. You show your kids the gospel of Jesus Christ. And men, let's man up and be men. And let's talk about it and confess it. Here's some common questions. Is protection okay? Yes. Is birth control okay? Yes. Is Viagra okay? Yes. Is there such thing as too much sex? No. Is there such thing as going too far in the bedroom? I don't think so. Ask these questions. Is it mutual? Go for it. Is it dangerous? Probably don't want to do it. Is it illegal? Definitely don't do it. When it comes to sex, steward it, guard it, and enjoy it. Steward it, guard it, and enjoy it. That's sex. Not just marriage and sex, but here's another issue. Marriage and money. I'm sure no one in here has money problems. I'm sure nobody in here has, is married to an Amazon addict. No one in here has a man who pays a lot of money to feed deer but never kills one. And I'm sure no one in here like, knows somebody till they shop till they drop. Nobody gets paid on Friday and is broke on Monday. I'm sure nobody in here owes over $500 on a credit card. But just in case... Just in case, when it comes to money, everyone has a normal. Some people grow up on Dr. Pepper. Some people grow up on Dr. Thunder. Some people go on vacation to Panama City Beach, Panama City, Florida. Some of us go to Palm Beach in Soperton, Georgia. Everyone has a normal, but here's what I would tell you. Here's my question. Are you going to handle your, your money your way or God's way? That's the question. Because if you can't answer that, we don't even need to have this conversation. Are you going to handle your money your way or God's way? One leads to trust, one distrust, one to unity, one to disunity, one to blessing, one to fight. And God says, you can't serve God and money. Let's look at God's way. A, God's way. God's way puts God in rightful position. God's design says, this is God's money, not my money. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible, you can pull it down to three things. One is a warning against greed and adultery. 
The human heart is an idol factory. It's not do you have idols. It's what idol is your heart creating right now. It creates idols. I want this. I need that. I got to have this. There's a battle for, for your heart. It's idols in your life. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For if we brought nothing into this world, you're taking nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. Paul says the secret sauce is contentment. And you won't find contentment when you have the eternal hunger and you're looking for temporary satisfaction. Our joy doesn't come in something that can be taken away from us. Our joy comes in resting in something that never can be. And the reason you have problems in marriage ain't money problems. It's because you have so many idols in your heart. Instead of being content with what you have already, you have to work two jobs not to support your family. Let's be clear. You have to work so much to support your idols. And your, your wife has these idols. I need this. I, I want this. I need this. And the husband has this, his idols. And they clash. And that's what's behind money issues. It's not money. Money's good. Another one that he talks about in God's word is stewardship. Psalms 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it is all his. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crops. Honor the Lord. God owns it all. You say, man, ain't nobody gave me nothing. I work for everything I have. Actually, maybe you have worked, but God has given you everything you have. It's all his. And God wants to entrust you with stewarding what he's given you. I got a question. When handling your money, do you handle it as if it was God's money? Or do you handle your money as if it was your money? Another one is he calls us to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you, what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants your money to betray the gospel. It reveals your heart. What does your money reveal about your heart? And when we place hope in Jesus, it frees us from idols and it frees us from stress. That's your issues when it comes to money in your marriage. It's idols in our heart and it's stress in our lives. We're not trusting God, we're trusting ourselves. That's what's happening. So listen, are you gonna handle money your way or God's way? Well, here's what your way does. Be your way. This puts you in God's position. Instead of God being in his position, you put yourself in God's position. And you say, and here's what happens. Here's what happens. One is misplaced trust. You start placing your trust in money and not your God. See, on our money, it says in God we trust. But when it hits your hand, you say, in me I trust. And that's what happens. And two, it leads to misplaced contentment. You'll never find it. Temporary satisfaction cannot be filled when you have it. I mean, temporary satisfaction cannot fill an eternal hunger. It will not do it. It's always something more, something more, something better, something more. You have misplaced priorities. And temporary overrides the eternal. And then you have misplaced worship because we're more loyal to our money than we are our God. That's what happens. 
We come face to face with our money and we will respond in many ways. We'll go to different states. We'll go to different jobs. We'll go to different homes. We'll do anything for our money. But when we come face to face with God, a lot of times we won't move any for him. And we're worshiping money and not our God. But listen to me, the gospel changes everything. It changes everything because it puts God back in his rightful position in your hearts and in your lives. And here's what happens. It changes our treasure and brings contentment. Our hearts are set on eternity, not the temporary. And we're freed from this junkyard worship. Because everything you have in your life is going to be at a yard sale, a garage sale, a landfill, a junkyard. And now we start to worship God instead. Our hope's not in the temporary. It frees us from greed and makes us generous. The gospel produces generous people. It's the key to marriage problems. Me and my wife don't fight when we're being generous. We'll argue about a vacation real quick. But we don't fight when we're being generous. When we pay our tithes, we don't fight about that. It's interesting. We don't fight about our 1-8 project money we give to the church. It's just interesting. We'll drop $100 and pay for people's meal and velartes, not even planting it, and we don't ride on the way home and saying, dang, why'd you do that? It just, we don't fight because generosity is the cure when it comes to money problems, it portrays the gospel and it teaches us how to be proactive, not reactive. We start managing our money because we're not a slave to our money. Instead of our money managing us, we manage it. And so here's a few tips on how to win with your money. First, man, just have a plan. Because when failing to plan, you're planning to fail. Write it down. Have a plan when it comes to your money. Me and Brandy do 80-10-10. 10 goes into tithes, auto draft, just poop, poop. I mean, just right when I get paid on payday. Boom, gone. Didn't even, man, didn't even stay there. Gone. 10 goes there. We put 10 in savings and we live off 80. That's how we make decisions on where we can go. That's how we make decisions on what we can afford. We don't look at the 100, we look at the 80. And we, we have a plan and it's been a whole lot better. Another is just add your wage. Your plan drives your decisions instead of your feelings. If you live off your feelings, you don't have a plan. When you see something, you want something, you get something, that's when you got money problems. Add your wage. If you can't afford the Tahoe, don't get it. Don't get it. Get out of debt. Three, get out of debt. Listen, if you gotta work two jobs to pay, to pay for your fleshly wants, your marriage ain't gonna last. It's not. It's not gonna last. I made a decision a long time ago. I'm not gonna be stressed out. I will not do it. I will not live my life that way. If I got to ride around town on a scooter with a rain jacket, that's what I'm going to do. If that's what's cheaper on gas and that's all I can afford, that's what I'm going to do because I'm not going to be stressed to the max wondering how in the world I'm going to be able to pay for something I can't afford. Listen, get out of debt. For be a giver. Me and Brandy practice generosity by a 1-8 project. We give money to the church. We practice by discipleship. We open up our home and people come in and we practice with hospitality. We're generous with our time. We're generous with our money. We're generous with our homes and materials. Be generous. Be a saver. If you don't save $5, you ain't going to save $50. You just ain't. And this is what I got convicted about because I thought I was winning with my money. 
And I told God, hey, I pay my tithes and, and I pay the bills. But then God said, well, actually, I call you to be a steward. And you actually got a family and you're actually wasting a lot of money. You need to save some money. And that's when God showed me, man, it ain't just about giving. It ain't just about paying the bills. God wants you to be smart with your money. And so, man, be a saver. Pay. Some of us might not be able to put but $5 in there, but that is a start. Start somewhere and set a limit. Set a limit. Me and Brandy, we, we don't, we're not faithful to this all the time, but we, have a, we call it a $20 limit. And it's like, hey, if she's spending over more than $20, something is in her cart on Amazon. She ain't buying McDonald's for $20. I'm not, if, if, if all of a sudden $50 comes out to, of my account, she knows I done bought some shoes somewhere. And I'm just saying, it ain't about permission. She does not have to call me to go to Parker's and get a Diet Coke. But if she spends over $20, I might want to know about that. If I just told her that, I was like, I want some new Georgia boots. She's like, no, nah, actually, you ain't getting them. Uh, house payments due coming up. You're not getting that now. And so, man, it's not about permission. It's about being smart because if we don't have that plan in place, she sees something she wants and drops 50 bucks. And then I'm over here and she don't know it, but I'm over here swapping and I see something I want. Bam, I order something for 50 bucks. $100 is gone. And then I get home and I'm like, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? And then she's like, well, what are you doing? And then we're, we're messed up because of lack of communication. Man, set a plan. Start winning with your money. Manage your money. Don't let your money manage you. And then lastly, three, marriage and communication. Marriage and communication. Here's what I tell you. We have a good God who has given you a good gift. Someone to have a unique community with the rest of your life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. We're made in his image and he gives you a marriage. And it's an awesome gift from an awesome God to be enjoyed. But we have a crafty serpent. And he doesn't like anything that God unifies, he tries to disunify. There's spiritual warfare out there and sin in your heart. And so man, there's not a place in the Bible that just talks about the communication passage. But communication is a big deal. And Satan and your sin will play into that and get you not on the same page. And that's a lot of issues in our marriages. We don't know how to communicate. And so here's a little bit of wisdom. I, I've been, I'm not Dr. Phil, but I've been married for 10 years. That might not be a long, long time, but I got a little bit of skin in the game. And here's some verses that will also back up my point. So listen to me. Just write this down. A, be on the same page. Learn to be on the same page. One word for you. Team. You can't be married and live life single. Some of you, you're normal when it comes to communication is this. You don't. You just don't communicate. You can't be married and live life single. You gotta be on the same page. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's teamwork. When making plans, plan together. Don't just assume. Your husband is not a mind reader. And he will not be a mind reader. Your wife is not a mind reader. Women, I know you think he is an inconsiderate son of a gun sometimes. But listen to me. He doesn't mean to be. He's not thinking the way you think. 
is not a mind reader. Uh, uh, husband's your spouse, your wife's not a mind reader. Don't assume. Don't just inform all the time. Don't make plans, then inform your spouse. You don't buy a car and not talk about it with your wife or husband. You don't plan a vacation to California and then tell your husband, hey, babe, by the way, we're going. Oh, really? Oh, really? Well, hey, you don't just pull in the driveway with a brand. A car costs more than a horse. I don't just come home on a horse and, hey, baby, got a new pet. Really? We thought we wanted to talk about that. Don't just make your decisions and then inform your spouse. Learn to talk together. And I know it's going to feel like you got to put the punching bag gloves on sometimes. But listen, just learn how to talk. Practice, be proactive in planning, start a family calendar, do it y'all's way, not your way. B, build each other up. Learn to build each other up. One word for you, love, just love. You can be a cancer to your spouse or you can be a crown, but you can't be both. And know the power of words. In Luke 6, it talks about the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words matter. I don't never talk bad to Brandy when her daddy's in the room. We don't sit down for Thanksgiving dinner and then me start talking bad about her. So why would I do that when God's in the room? And I do sometimes. I mean, I have problems with my tongue. Y'all don't look at me like that. Y'all struggle too. But, but man, when's the last time you, said you, you spoke life into your spouse? Instead of just crucifying or crucifying, but built them up. What would happen if you played your role in your marriage and you stopped reading your spouse's mail and read your own mail? What would happen? You need to submit to me. You need to submit. Oh, really? Well, actually, read your own mail, bro. Hey, you're supposed to love me like Christ loves the church. Okay, well, sweetheart, we'll read your own mail. And you read your own mail, and when you do that and apply it to your own life, marriage works better. Read your own mail. See, learn how to fight well. That doesn't mean Floyd Money Mayweather fighting. Learn how to fight well. Know your instincts. Some of us play the opposite game. You mad? No. Well, by the tone of your voice, seems like you might be a little mad. I'm just riding down the road. Brandon, you mad? No. I don't know what makes you think I'm mad. In my heart, I'm pissed. Some of you play the opposite, play the quiet game. Hey, something wrong? Nope. Boom. Door closed. Don't talk to your spouse for three days. That's just as psycho as taking a baseball bat to the windshield. Uh, some of you play the blame game. I'm really good at this. I know how to, to, to make things sound right and twist things to make, make if I'm not careful, I try to make her look like an idiot. And it's really my fault. And some of you men know how to do that. You know, you're sharp with your words, and women are too sharp with your words. You know how to just make them feel that big. It's like, dang. It's not the blame game. Attack the problem, not the person. You don't want to attack someone made in the image of God. Attack the problem, not the person. Meet in the middle. Agree to disagree. Just come back later. Listen, be quick to confess. Be quick to apologize. Be quick to forgive. And for crying out loud, take divorce off the table. When I pre do premarital with my people, I say, listen, we don't, for the rest of your life, you don't say the D word. It ain't funny. It ain't a joke. 
We do not say that word, period. You say, Blake, have you and Brandy ever thought about getting divorced or ever talked about divorce? No. Murder? Yes, a few times. <laughs> Take it off the table. D, own the mission. Own the mission, one word, multiply. We don't have marriage problems, we got mission problems. When you're busy fighting together for eternity, you're not fighting each other about the temporary. When you're rowing the boat, you're not rocking the boat. We have mission problems. Listen to me, when you're pursuing God and your wife's pursuing God, y'all are pursuing God, automatically you grow closer to God together. It happens out of the pursuit. Own the mission. Listen, this is the best thing about my marriage. It is seeing my wife disciple people, me discipling her. We don't fight and want to get divorced on family worship night. I've spanked my kids a few times, yes, but my marriage is good. And we're doing this together and we're loving each other. And then lastly, E, listen to me, just enjoy one another. If we're crying out loud, just enjoy each other. I got one word for you, friends, friends. That's what marriage is, is friendship. Some of you have friends growing up, but they come and go, and sometimes you have lifelong friends, but your spouse is a unique friend from God, and when your friendship is best, everything else is best. Sex will be better when your friendship's strong. Money will be better when your friendship's strong. Communication will be better when your friendship is strong. Listen, some of you, your marriage will never be better than a six. You wanna know why? Because you don't pursue each other anymore. You forgot, listen, you forgot how to have fun. You don't have fun anymore. You do not chase your wife the way you chased her before you married her. You do not love, you're not in awestruck love over your husband as you was when you met him, when he still had the six pack or whatever. You forgot how to pursue. You forgot that it was friendship. And I'm gonna say something that you're not gonna like and, I, and listen, I'm just gonna say it. Your marriage is gonna be just as good as you want it to be. It'll be just as good as you make it be. Is your marriage characterized by friendship, mission, grace, love, teamwork, sex? Does that create, is that sound right in your marriage? Or is it, create, is it characterized by fighting, temporary pleasures, bitterness, hate, and conflict? Listen to me, here's my question. What is your next step? when it comes to your marriage? What's your next step when it comes to your marriage? For some of us, it's reconciliation. You need to remember the gospel that saved you. And you become the gospel to your spouse. Some of you need to remember your wedding day because love isn't a feeling. Love says, this might go to hell, but I'm staying. I'm gonna pursue and love my spouse. For some of us, it's confession. You cannot fight the devil in the dark. You will not heal anything if you don't bring it to the light. And yet it sucks because sin sucks. And I suck and you suck and we suck apart from God.
But here's what happens. You bring it to the light and your wife and your spouse, you show forgiveness. Whatever it is that's in your life right now, you take it off the table. You put your yes on the table. You say, I'm gonna do this God's way. You listen to me, middle schoolers and high schoolers, you put your yes on the table. You say, I'm gonna do this God's way. College people, I'm gonna do it God's way. Married people, I'm gonna do it God's way because his way is the best way. And when you do that, you'll have joy in your life. And whatever it is that's making you fall, you take it off the table. Just take it off. Confess it. Find forgiveness. For some of us, it is submission. We need to swallow our pride and we need to get out of God's chair. When I was young, my dad had a chair. And that was daddy's chair. And sometimes I would sit in that chair. And when he walked in the living room, you know what he said? He said, get out my chair. And when he was gone, guess where I sat? In daddy's chair. And when he came in the house, you know what he said? You need to get out my chair. On your heart sits a throne. That is God's chair. He belongs on that heart. He belongs in your life. He's the Lord of your life. And every single one of us has kicked him out. And we've sat on our own throne. And we're the God of our own life. And the gospel is this. Jesus Christ comes and says, get out my chair. Because I belong in that chair. It's submission. And listen to me, for some of us, it is salvation. You will never, ever, ever love anybody the way the gospel loves you if you do not experience it. You will not change your spouse. You will not. Only God can do it. The only thing you can do is look what Brother James, Jesus Christ's brother says, is it not your desires within you? Is it not the idols on your heart? You can only focus on you. And I'm telling you, you'll never have sex the way God wants you to have sex without Jesus Christ. You'll never use money, be freed from that, the stress and things that come with it without Jesus Christ. You'll never have the marriage that you're supposed to have apart from Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if you're in here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ, here's my question. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? The gospel is an invitation. It says, come, get your porn addiction, get in here. I don't have to live a secret free life. I, don't, I mean, I don't have to live a secret of life. Get in here. Oh, you're having marriage problems. Okay, well, good. We got good news. Go ahead and get in here. Oh, you're having some, maybe it's some drug issues or some other issues. Okay, all right, well, hey. Go ahead and get in here. Let me pray for us. Father, we just love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for the gospel that frees. God, we just pray that you're in this place. If you're in this place and you say, Blake, I'm struggling in my marriage. You say, Blake, I'm struggling with selfishness in my heart. Blake, I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And today, I wanna be set free. Today, I wanna give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's anybody in here, will you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I just wanna pray for you. Amen. <laughs> Give you just a second, anybody else? 
to say, today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we love you. We just thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for marriage. God, I pray you would come in here, stir our hearts. And God, help us to fall more in love with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Stand up, let's worship. Thank you.